0: You're listening to Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner, the creation show where we learn, grow,
1: and worship.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner. I am Todd Wood. And I'm Paul Garner. And here we are live at the International Conference on Creationism. Well, not exactly live. This is recorded. You're seeing it recorded. But we're actually here at the conference. We're not just in a hotel room somewhere.
2: Uh, What are you looking forward to, Paul? Oh boy, there's, there's so much. This is a very packed programme. I've got the brochure here with all of the details of the talks and the abstracts and the poster presentations and everything else that's going on. What am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to Kurt Wise. <laughs> I, I always I always look forward to Kurt's talks. Okay. They're always entertaining, okay. informative. All right, um, he is as I s- have said before a force of nature. That's f- certainly true. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to that. Uh, Steve Austin. He's going to be talking about um, post-flood shorelines. Yes, uh, related to the lakes that Drain to carve Grand Canyon. Carve Grand Canyon. Big, big stuff. And I've yeah. seen a
0: preview of that uh, last year at Origins, and um, looking forward to the full paper that we're going to get this
2: year. And there's this guy Wood on here, oh. I don't know who he is, but he's Something. doing lots of hominin stuff apparently.
0: Oh yeah, that, that's true, yes. <laughs> so yeah, three years of work culminating in this, um, in this, in this <laughs> paper here, which is kind of a big deal, mm-hmm. even though, you know, most people probably will not realize just how big of a deal it is, but it right. is kind of a big deal. <laughs> not to blow my own horn, but... So,
2: so what are you looking forward to?
0: What am I looking forward to?
2: Apart from getting your papers done.
0: That's mostly what I'm looking (laughs) forward to.
2: Um, Yeah, I haven't
0: examined the schedule altogether too much, I think. This is my fault. Um, But I I think, to be honest, I'm looking forward to not the... I'm looking forward to the one that Marcus is doing with me on um, human history. We're trying to synthesize everything that we've done and trying to integrate that in with archaeology other creationist thought and theology so it's kind of a big giant paper that could have easily turned into a book if i kept going (laughs) so i'm really kind of looking forward to seeing what marcus does with that in the presentation i'm not giving that paper that
2: doesn't sound at all ambitious
0: no not at all ambitious so uh
2: yes there's that and then then of course there's a room with posters Yes, so we need to find some time to go and have a look at the posters. And
0: all around us here, there are tables set up. We are at the booth for Core Academy, uh, Biblical Creation Trust, and um, Mm. Let's Talk Creation podcast. That thing that we do. Yeah, lots of vendors. Yep, lots of vendors. Lots of of places to to go. Yep. Yep. And I just there was a my goodness, there was a there was somebody dragged in a portable uh, planetarium. So we're going to have planetarium (laughs) shows here. (laughs) That's right. Which
2: mind-boggling so it's very and, cool and evening sessions yes which are open i think to the public as well as those of us here at the conference is that That right? sounds fantastic um with a load of people who are sort of big names in creation yeah that's right so yeah so we're yeah. gonna want to see
0: those as well yeah huh. And as the conference goes on, we're, you know, Paul and I are just going to ambush people as they walk by, <laughs> speakers, and say, hey, come talk to us for a minute
2: about your work. Shh, they're going to avoid us.
0: Yeah, we don't want them to know. <laughs> so let's just uh, let's cut to that real quick through the magic of editing, and then we'll come back here and, uh, you know, and wrap up the episode. How about that? See you later. All right, I'm here at ICC with... Jeff Miller, Jeff, tell us about yourself first of all, who are you?
3: Yes, uh, so I work at Apologetics Press and I'm doing cave work uh, in the Appalachians and Ozarks for now.
0: Okay, cave work. So this is related to basically where caves come from.
3: Yes, yes, so the conventional thinking is that caves form slowly from above, water trickling down, a carbonic acid that slowly dissolves caves, over tens, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, maybe, in some of the real big ones. And so creationists have said, well, what if it could form quickly from below with ascending hot acidic waters, like with, say, sulfuric acid? Uh, that would uh, allow for a much faster uh, dissolving process uh, that would fit more within the biblical time frame. Uh, these caves are found in flood rock, and so the flood actually is uh perfect kind of conditions to create that. Uh, So what I'm doing is going into caves and showing that they have the features that would support our contention that they form from below quickly from acids like sulfuric acid.
0: Awesome. So I've heard you before talk about cave formation and you were talking about uh, cave formation mostly around here in the uh, Appalachians. So where, so how how is this paper different from what I've heard before from you?
3: <laughs> well, thankfully, it's really not a lot different. Uh, we're, I'm just changing uh, locations and finding the exact same thing. So the, the Appalachians of the East, which I'm hopefully going to be finishing up in the next couple of years, got a few more to hit. Uh, I've already moved on to the Ozarks now and seeing, do we see the same thing over there? And the answer is, yes, we do. So it's really a lot more of the same, just showing that, I think I'm up to 62 caves total now, but the Ozarks I hit 20 for this paper. So
0: wow. So this so so you're telling me that caves do not form by the old trickly dripping that everyone hears when they go into the show caves. This is this is a fundamentally different way of carving caves and you're finding this evidence everywhere.
3: Yes, yeah, and you know that um, a a huge percentage of the caves have now been reinvestigated and acknowledged by even the mainstream geologists that they are in fact forming from the way that we're saying all along that they form. uh, They just, I would say, maybe haven't re-examined all the caves of the east. And so I'm doing that and finding, hey, we find all the features over here too. So all of them are formed that way is my contention.
0: That is amazing. See the great stuff we get at ICC? This is a lot of fun here. You should definitely come next time if you didn't come this time. Thanks, Jeff.
2: Well, I am here right now with Nate Loper from Canyon Ministries. Nate, you're new to the the podcast. I don't think you've Mm -hmm. been on the podcast before. So tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about Canyon Ministries.
4: Yeah, so uh, Canyon Ministries, we've been serving Grand Canyon for the past 26 years, doing Christian river trips, rim tours, backpacking trips, you name it, we do it out there at the Grand Canyon, bringing in glory to God and everything
2: we do. That's great. That's fantastic. And I've been on a river trip Mm -hmm. through the canyon with Tom Vale, who used to work for Canyon Ministries, uh, who founded Canyon Ministries, in fact. Uh, And that was a fantastic trip with Steve Austin and Andrew Snelling leading that trip. So that was great. Uh, So you uh, had a paper at this conference. We did. uh, With? With Dr. Steve Austin. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was about... Grand Canyon. It was about
4: Grand Canyon, about Lake Bidahochi, and the yeah. kind of spillover idea that we have for Grand Canyon Formation and some of the physical evidence that we're now finding for what we call kind of a shoreline terraces that we're looking at for this lake that we believe helped form Grand Canyon.
2: Right, that's great, because th- there have been these competing sort of ideas in creationism. Some mm-hmm. people have said, you know, Grand Canyon is a product of the, the recession of the flood mm-hmm. from the continents. Uh, But others have argued that actually it it was a result of the drainage of post-flood lakes. And one of the criticisms of that latter idea is, where are the shorelines Mm -hmm. of the lake? And that's been something that people have been asking. And you think you found those shorelines? Absolutely. It's been one of the smoking guns people have been looking for, and I think we found them. And not only that, but other
4: physical evidence in the fossils and in the geology that point to that. But these shorelines are one big thing we've been looking for, and it seems to be based upon what we're finding. Hey, we might have that smoking gun we've been looking for. Right, that's great. So what kind of evidence is it that points to these shorelines? What have you found? So in in the landscape, we can see, you can see very clearly with satellite imagery, as well as the aerial drone footage we've been doing, you can see these shoreline, almost like terraces, similar to strand lines, we're calling them terraces, of a transgressive lake filling event, basically shorelines that have been cut into the landscape by this lake as it was rising and filling up. And we call the transgressive, a
2: rising phase of it. That's great and the rocks on those strand lines are kind of encrusted, aren't mm-hmm. they? I, I heard this word tufa. Explain what that's about. Yeah, so tufa,
4: basically a, a you know, calcium carbonate, mm-hmm. um, basically coating to it that typically forms in, in freshwater systems where okay. it's almost like almost like a, a travertine, but you typically see that with evaporate deposits and things like that. Mm-hmm. So these shorelines tend to have tufa, as well as many other locations that we're now finding around this kind of perimeter, right around 57 to 500 50, feet in elevation.
2: Right. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So that, that's really kind of plugged a hole you know, that people have been asking about in, in that argument yeah. about post-flood lakes. Yep. So that's really Hopefully. great. Yeah. So uh, the drainage of post-flood lakes there at Grand Canyon mm-hmm. is alive and well. So. <laughs> absolutely. And it's
4: bigger and better than we've ever thought before. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
2: Nate, we're going to have to have you on the podcast again Anytime. To, to talk about Canyon Ministries and Love some to. of the incredible work that you're doing there. So yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you, Paul. Thank yeah. you. Hey,
0: look who it is. I'm here at the International Conference on Creationism, and I got Thomas Purifoy here. You just showed us a cut of Is Genesis History 2. How did it go?
1: It was great. You know, I think you were in it too.
0: I was in it, yeah. I thought it was pretty
1: good. <laughs> uh, it was only for a few <laughs> seconds. No, I think it went well. So when we showed it, I didn't, you know, showing it in front of, is it 300 scientists, you it think? Was
0: full it was a full house. We had a house. full room. Yeah. It
1: always makes you a little nervous because you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And So the great thing about this is that you know if there are any errors, any misspellings, anything at all, the scientists will find it. So in a good way, it was a good way to check everything that we needed that was wrong with it. In fact, in the middle of the film, someone said immediately, it texted and said, you know, you misspelled the word Appalachian. And I was like, ah, that's great. So, yeah.
0: Crowdsource uh, editing there. It's brilliant. Yeah. So overall, really
1: good feedback on it. So we had, this is kind of probably the third version of the film people have been seeing. Mm. And... We had all our animations, we have everything in it. And so, what I've been excited about, and what Andrew Snelling's been excited about too, um, is being able to kind of show things that no one's seen before. So, we were able to show Steve Austin's overflow of the Grand Canyon model. And to be honest, I spent over 20 hours with Steve on Zoom trying to understand this because my animator in Serbia kept saying, Now, do you want the water to do this or that? Do you want is this covered with water or is that? And so Steve had to answer it. And so we had to dig deep into his theory. So I learned about all kind of stuff like nick point erosion, sapping, areas of how the Grand Canyon was formed that actually did not quite make it into the film, but are really interesting that we actually show in our animation.
0: But it's all part, it's all feeding into it's the all, most accurate animations we've yeah, got in yeah, creation. It,
1: it, yes, that's correct. I mean, yeah. so we're working on showing. Um, how the floodwaters left the continents in a place, and the mountains rose. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's a start, you know, so.
0: Sounds great, and people really liked it. People really
1: enjoyed it? It seemed really happy. I mean, Andrew said he got a lot of positive comments. John did. I mean, it's a very different film than the first one, where the last one was kind of a flyover of all the areas of creation science. And this is really, how does creation science work? And I mean, I was talking to Andrew this morning. What makes me happy is be able to like people to see how guys like you and Andrew and John and others actually do your work because it's, it's a little black boxish for yes. a lot of people. Like what yes. do they do to make this? Creation science, what is, what science what is that? Yes, yeah. and so it's a little better perspective. Oh, well, I see they take samples and this is how they do this. And they yeah. take data and they analyze and they write it up and they talk about it and they review it. It's all that's in there. And so yeah. that's what makes me happy is it kind of just shows, I mean, let's be honest, I've always been annoyed at people that say, you know, creation scientists aren't real scientists. Like, that's actually, I have a handful of major annoyances, and that was one of my annoyances, and I'm not a scientist. Mine too. <laughs> well, it is. I'm not a scientist, and I'm not even, I don't even play one on TV. But, I mean, it's uh, it just really bothered me. And so, I kind of felt, if you show scientists just doing their work, 99% of the people watching would be like, yeah, yeah, they're scientists. Like, that makes sense. I may mean, not agree with them, but they're, they're scientists. They're doing yeah. the right work. Yeah, yeah, So, I would say that's one of my happiest things of the film, It's like, yeah. it kind of, I would hope um vindicates or at least just shows creation scientists really are just scientists. That's all they do. They just start from a different framework and come up with a different, you know, interpretation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well great. So we must be getting close then to a release. But I know you don't have one in mind yet. So I'm not going to pin you down, but it is close, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. August. We're going to be out in August. August. Sometime in August.
0: Yep. Uh, That's exciting. All right. So everybody be sure to check out is Genesis history two. Mountains after the flood. How? Oh, what's it. It? Yeah, the mountains after the flood. That's the title. So check it out. I'm in there. Don't blink or you miss me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you very much for joining yes, us. Sir, all true. right. As always. Yep. Okay, I'm here at the International Conference on Creationism. I have with me Katie McGuire. She is a research associate at Core Academy of Science. The thing that I know all about. So, uh, Katie, I brought you here because I didn't. I didn't think the people wanted to hear me keep talking about all of my research, so I thought you could tell them about my research. <laughs> Actually, this is our research project. You've done a lot of the work. So what exactly did you do for this project?
5: So the goal of this project was to take a look at the order of the fossil record and then take a look at the evolutionary story about the order of the fossil record. So what order we, that evolutionists think animals evolved in and see if those match.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. I can understand that. So evolutionists tell us, this is how these things evolved. These, these, these hairy beasts over here, they evolved in this way. And then you say, okay, well, that, does that actually match the fossil record? That's basically how, what we did. Now, when I cut you loose on this project, I thought, you know, we'll do maybe 10 or 20 of these stories and see how it works out and try to draw some conclusions. What did you end up doing?
5: Um, well, I didn't like doing it all by hand. So instead, I did some computer programming and used it to look at 2,721 different um stories and compare those and
0: that's a lot more than I, I you know paul garner was with me on this project as one of our collaborators and we were both sort of flabbergasted when you told us how many you had done so good job for that what did what did you find
5: um well sometimes the evolutionary story matches the fossil record but it only does that well about 25 percent of the time.
0: So one out of four stories, evolutionary stories, actually line up really well with the fossil record. Yep. Well, that seems rather significant um, and very cool. Now, we also had other ideas that we could, we could try to use this data with. We thought we could you know, look at created kinds. We thought we could look at the flood versus the post-flood versus the pre-flood. We're not there yet, right? I mean, we didn't, we didn't really get that far into the project but I thought the, th- that result's pretty significant. 25% of, of, the, of the evolutionary stories really match the, the, the actual order of the fossil record. So, all right, well thank you very much for joining us.
5: Thank you.
2: All right, and uh, yeah, enjoy the ICC. Well, uh, another one of our old friends that we've caught up with at this conference is Dr. Ken Coulson. Uh, Ken, you used to be based in California, but you're now back in Australia, is that right?
6: Uh, that's right. G'day, everybody. Yes, that's <laughs> absolutely G'day. correct. So uh, we were in uh, the U.S. just two years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been living here for 12 years, and uh, now we're living in Australia again. Yeah, because I'm could... originally from Australia. Sure.
2: As people can probably tell.
6: Uh, yeah, well, uh, yes, yes and no, because in Australia, people think I sound like a, like a yank.
2: Oh, do they? Yes. Do they really? Yes, oh, right. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So, so uh, but you've come back for ICC.
6: Come back for ICC. Brought the family back because uh, uh, my wife's fam- my wife's American, yeah, and my wife's family live here in Cedarville, yeah, and so uh, got to spend some time with them as well,
2: yeah. And one of the things that we both did yesterday at the conference was take part in a panel all about the flood boundary issue, which is a really Hot topic in yeah. creationism. And it's we
6: sorted of- it all out, didn't we? We got everything sorted. Of course. Yeah.
2: Of course. We absolutely resolved everything and mm-hmm. everybody's completely agreed. It's yeah. not at all a contentious absolutely. issue. Absolutely.
6: Okay. Well bye. No.
2: <laughs> so um, your your contribution was really focused particularly on where does the flood begin Correct. in the in the fossil record. Uh, tell us a bit about that.
6: So, I did my PhD research on something called stromatolites, uh, which are essentially cyanobacterial sort of mud mounds, Yeah, uh, and they were upper Cambrian, uh, so uh, lower Paleozoic, just after the pre-Cambrian. And uh, as I was doing my research there, it started back in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, finished in 20, well, it didn't finish, finished the degree in 2016. But anyway, as I was out there looking at these, I saw that there was lots and lots of them, great thicknesses mm-hmm. of them. And I'm trying to figure out how this grew in the flood. In fact, yeah. uh, my, one of my advisors out there said, I don't know what you're going to do, but they all grew in a year. And I was like, <sighs> I, I don't know. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I, I, I looked into them a lot more. It turns out that these things are all over North America, in lots of places in North America. They're all over the world, and uh, there's huge distributions, multiple mm-hmm. layers, huge thicknesses. And so I began to think of why, why they had to be in the flood. And I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. I, right. it was just like, uh, no, that's flood because the Great Unconformity is the start of the flood, and that's the flood, and. That was just what I was taught. Right. Uh, and uh, so I was trying to figure out from the scriptures why I needed to believe that. It turns out I didn't need to. Uh, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying absolutely for sure that mm-hmm. this is the right position. Uh, I just tend to think that uh, we should be thinking of the great unconformity in terms of the massive amount of processes that were occurring during creation week. Right. Uh, and therefore, the Cambrian stromatolites represent some kind of pre flood biome. Um, and so we would probably stick the flood boundary a little higher. Yeah.
2: And for those of us who tend to think the flood boundary is a bit lower, I mean, this is a, this is a tough problem. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've thought about it and I don't really have any solution to the, you know, to what you've described. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be a tough nut to crack for those <laughs> of us who want to have the flood begin a yes. bit earlier. So, uh, you know, we're really grateful to you for kind of presenting this data because we need to be thinking about hard problems. You know, we, we need to be grappling mm-hmm. with uh, inconvenient data and not just the data we like, right?
6: Correct. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Uh, just give us a few other reflections on, on the flood panel more generally because there, there were people who were presenting lots of different positions, on the beginning of the flood, on the end of the flood, right. what, what were your overall reflections on that?
6: Well I would uh, I tend to agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I would believe that the flood most likely is a KBG. At the end of the mm-hmm. flood is a KPG phenomena.
2: So that's the end of the Mesozoic, where the dinosaurs disappear. Yes, basically. yes. I, I tend yeah. to
6: think that is the case. I happened to spend uh, some time because I knew I was on this uh, roundtable discussion. Mm. I spent more time than I should have uh, <laughs> looking at uh, the original resources, yep. going back to different papers, and I just wasn't convinced uh, mm. with the arguments that the opposing side were coming up with. Right. Uh, I, I, I could. I could adequately, I think, answer mm-hmm. a lot of those questions. Coal beds, mm-hmm. I think, were actually a fairly easy mm-hmm. uh, thing to answer and massive movement of, uh, of uh, material. I mean, if you've got a flood that's finished and you've got wet sediment and mountains are coming up, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe over a couple of years, decades, what's that stuff going to do? Well, yeah. it's going to slip off right. in huge quantities. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really don't struggle with that. I think the biggest problem that I could see was the uh, the the amount of plate movement? Right. I think that was the only thing that I really uh, think was a, a, a valid uh, way of uh, a, a, a valid point. Yeah. Um, when you but when you uh, square that with all of the other data, mm-hmm. especially that paleontological data yeah. and the geologic data too, yeah. uh, you know, Green River Formation stuff, things yeah. like that. I, I just think it's I, I honestly think it's. Absolutely crystal clear yeah. that 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 uh, the flood boundary is lower. However, having said that, uh, ultimately this is not scripture, and uh, we yeah. are free to hypothesise, yeah. and uh, we are free to do that, and uh, to love each other in Christ, yeah. uh, and to realise that you know ultimately it's a scientific question. It's 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 white space. We can we can go to town, enjoy it, enjoy these discussions. Uh, yeah. and realize that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ.
2: Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with you. I, I think that issue about the amount of plate motion in the Cenozoic, which would have to be after the flood if we're, if we're right, right. Um, that is quite a difficult issue. And uh, you know, as we've said before, we need to be grappling with difficult issues. Mm-hmm. We we obviously did a series recently, which our our viewers and listeners can go back and look at, where we I saw it. It's good. (laughs) We explored some of those issues with with people who represented different positions and let them sit out the stool, and. I think this is gonna be a debate that kind of runs and runs, isn't it? Because uh, we, we didn't yes. reach resolution, right? but hopefully um, you know, there's a way forward where perhaps we can dialogue more with one another and you know, get to grips with some of the data and look yes. at different ways of explaining it. So,
6: Yes, and for those of you who want to look more at my position, go to Creation Unfolding, YouTube, there you go. Creation Unfolding. I've got a whole playlist on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Look up uh, the playlist on flood boundaries.
2: That's great.
0: Thanks,
6: Put everyone. that plug in.
2: Thanks ever so much, Ken. Okay, thank you. It's been great to see you.
6: All right, cheers. You too.
0: All right, I'm here with Matt McLean, professor of something scientific at the Masters University. What is that? Geology. What do they call you out there? Geology, biology, and geology. Biology and geology. Cool. All right. So uh, I understand you had a little uh, discussion of feathered dinosaurs here at the International Conference on Creationism. How did that go?
7: Uh, went really well. It was uh, Marcus Ross and I doing that, and um, we had like a little he present, I present kind of thing with Q and A, I and mean, it went really, really well. I was I was surprised with just good conversations we had coming out. Of it.
0: Nobody threw anything or fit or anything like that.
7: Yeah, we were ready to dodge. We were training, but it was <laughs> it was good. We didn't have to worry about it.
0: Oh, all right. Well, great. And and you got good feedback. Other people thought it was all right.
7: Yeah, everybody seemed to, I mean, so, I mean, maybe the angry people aren't talking to me, but I mean, everybody, everybody was happy as far as I can tell. Maybe,
0: maybe. All right. Well, okay. So what, and what was the point of your, what was the point of your presentation? It's all
7: fake. It's all a big conspiracy. Yeah. We wanted to talk about how there are feathered dinosaurs and how we can think about that as creationists, you know, um, pointing people to actually see what's there and have a good conversation about it.
0: Okay. So that was not one of your submitted papers. Is that right?
7: That's right. That was not one of my submitted papers. That was Marcus saying, let's go talk about feathered dinosaurs. And I was like, okay, we'll do that. You're
0: a brave man. When Marcus says to me, Let's go do something, I'm usually my reaction is usually a big old scowl. I don't I don't know about that. Um, so yeah, you're wearing a weird looking tie
7: there. Thank you. What are you wearing? <laughs> yeah, what what is that? This is my Moss Chops tie. What is a moss chops? Uh, Moss Chops is this big, we call them non-mammalian synapsids, so they used to call them mammal-like reptiles. But it's something that's got some traits of mammals, some traits of reptiles, extinct creature. And he's a, he's a big guy. He's got like a big, thick head that they could ram into each other. And he walks on all fours. looks like a bodybuilder walking around. They're hilarious. Super funny animals.
0: And why are you wearing a Moss Chops tie? Um, wait, wait a minute, wait, first of all because I know there's some paleontologists watching this going, oh man, I gotta get a Moschops tie. Right.
7: Where did you get that? I, I created it, so yeah, on Zazzle. So, you know, you can't just go and buy it probably.
0: Oh, wow, so this is, this is exclusive to the ICC. All right, so why are you wearing it? Why wouldn't I wear it? <laughs>
7: okay. So, um, one of the presentations I gave was about non-mammalian synapsids, um, talking about uh, their fingers and toes, um, and how are they actually, becoming more mammal-like, which is what some evolutionists have claimed, or is it something else going on?
0: So, are they becoming more mammal-like or is it something else going on? It's
7: something else going on, <laughs>
8: that's what
7: it is. Well,
0: that's, that, that's pretty good, I, I can go for that. Um, people can read your whole paper then, is that right?
7: Yeah, so that one was an abstract. Um, I've got, uh, I did do, I was on a paper with you, and, um, and then there was also, um, I did a paper with some uh, TMU students about um, archosauromorph pheromology, so fossil reptiles and what are the different created kinds of those and things, so um, that full paper will be available. And Then I did another abstract with a TMU student and a Loma Linda student um, about, um, it was actually Noah's Arks and Viking funeral ships um, was what it was called, so it's a, a biogeography question. How did animals get to where they are after the flood?
0: What does it have to do with Viking? Okay, I missed. So the, the downside of doing so many presentations at ICC is you don't get to actually go to anybody. So I'm, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Viking
7: funeral ships, help yeah. me out here. So um, these are terms they use in biogeography. And so a Noah's Ark is when you have a continent that collides with another continent and it had living animals on it. And afterwards they can go and move around. They can switch continents. But a Viking funeral ship is full of dead things, right? So it's when a continent has dead stuff, fossils, collides another continent, those things might get moved on to there through sedimentation and stuff, but they're not actually alive uh, moving over there. And so what we wanted to do was look at the Americas colliding and India colliding with Asia. And both of those are happening in the Cenozoic part of the rock record. And um, some creationists think that the flood is lower where it ends, some think it's higher where it ends, and those events are kind of in there. And so we can use that kind of as a test of those flood boundaries was the idea.
0: Nice. Yeah. That sounds pretty slick. I'm going to have to read that paper uh, as soon as it's released, yes. which hopefully, by the time this airs, will have happened, God willing. We don't, we don't, we don't know right now. As we're recording, we, we don't know. We haven't even seen abstracts from yeah. these things. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, thank you very much for talking with us. And I think we'll move on to another hapless passerby
2: who I'm going to rope into an interview. All right. Well, um, one of the people that I've met here at the conference this week is Jordan. And Jordan was actually leading a field trip. This is one of the other exciting things that was going on at ICC, as well as all of the talks and the evening presentations and the posters. There was also a field trip. So Jordan, tell us about the field trip. Where where was the field
8: trip? Where where did you lead it to? I was nicely dressed as you, but I'm dressed so close (laughs) because we just got out of the field. Uh, But the field trip was uh, to a local gorge, Massey Creek Gorge, and uh, I'm one of Dr. John Whitmore's students, Uh and that has become one of our classrooms that we use for teaching. So it was the perfect place Mm -hmm. to have a field trip. So we went to look at the geology, the botany, and the history of Massey Creek Gorge. And so uh, the thought behind having a field trip was professional, secular conferences have field trips all the time. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to provide a field trip that was professional for from a young earth creationist perspective. That's great. So tell us about the geology
2: then at Massey Creek Gorge.
8: Yeah, so the uh, rocks that we find there are dolomite and shale, huh? and they were deposited during the flood. And so yeah. we find lots of different types of fossils. We find brachiopods, crinoids, uh, bryzoans, gastropods, horn coral. So we find lots of different types of marine organisms.
2: That's great. So people came back with bags full of fossils. Well,
8: <laughs> unfortunately, no. But there were a lot of people who did find the, the tiny horn corals. That that's the, the most common thing that you can find. Yeah. Lovely.
2: Lovely. And the botany as well, you said you talked about
8: some of the... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a very amateur botanist, so I uh-huh. got to talk about the trees yeah. and lots of uh, the flowers that are blooming right now. So we, had, we saw uh, tall bellflower, mm-hmm. uh, hairy, hairy mountain mint, uh, wild bergamot, uh, and wild hydrangea. So it was a good experience for people to come yeah. see some plants that they might not see in their own backyard.
2: Yeah. One of the things that I've always been really excited about at ICC is to see all of these young students here. Yeah. It's absolutely fabulous to see so many young people at a conference like yeah. this, and it really bodes well for the future. So I'm really pleased you were able to lead this field trip. I'm sorry I wasn't able to go on it because oh, I, I, I was involved in other oh, events it's... that were happening at the same time. And uh, you can't get to everything because there's so much going on. But um, Yeah,
8: totally fine. I, I, if you ever want to go down, I can take you down yourself. That'd be great. Yeah. I'll take you up on that
2: sometime. Yeah, yeah. thanks very much, Jordan. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm here with friend Marcus Ross. You guys know Marcus Ross. If you don't know, he's, what are you, president, owner, owner chief, CEO, grand poobah that, of the, like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, grand poobah of the uh,
9: Cornerstone Educational Supply. Cornerstone Ed Supply. And he's also adjunct at Liberty. I am. So you can find our world headquarters for Cornerstone Educational Supply in Lynchburg, Virginia.
0: Lynchburg, Virginia.
9: Yeah. So you sell a lot of great stuff to homeschool. We do, right. yeah. We are an all-purpose science supply company. So, if your homeschool co-op or your school or your college is looking for, hey, dead frogs, we got dead frogs.
0: Oh man,
9: you need rocks. Ha- we got rocks. Do you have yeah. a whole plague of dead frogs? Uh, we, I could, make a yeah, plague?
0: yeah, I could. That's amazing. All right,
9: we can make that happen. So let's talk. Again, but
0: you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um, your research project here. I mean, you presented a, frankly, massive paper. Yes. And you didn't get through it all. (laughs) (laughs) This is the problem at ICC when you write these big, massive, you know, it only comes around once every five years, so I feel like you got to do something worthwhile. you
9: say you write, and, you know, it's we write. Well, we did. We We did did. write it. Yeah. I got the the chance to botch uh, botch the presentation. (laughs) Right. So. So what, so what were we trying to do in this massive thing? Yeah, we, were, we were trying to do a big synthesis of taking a look at paleoanthropological data, and for the folks at home, if they had heard a term like that, we're looking at ancient humans and trying to de- determine if we can figure out who in the fossil record is human versus who is not based on the things they made and did. So you know, we talk a lot about skeletons and about whether somebody has a certain pump on their head or this, and does this look close enough to be human? But one of the things that uh, you and I had both kind of come at from two different directions were other ways to kind of test those anatomical questions against the cultural remains that individuals left behind. And things like tools, things like uh, artwork, things like care for the sick and injured or elderly, uh, whether people uh, or potential people, right, wondering if they're humans, had moved very far distances over, over water or investigated deep caves. So we looked at six different cultural evidences against all of these different species of hominins to see, do any of the ones that we think anatomically might be human also show advanced cognition that we would expect out of people that are made in the image of God?
0: Made in the image of God. That's excellent. So, uh, so what? So what? Right? I mean, that's kind of, and and I try to remind people of this, you know, figuring out what is human and what is not human is like the least interesting
9: question to, to answer. So what do we get out of that? What, what do we win? So what do we do is we, get a, we win the chance to ask the next interesting questions. And so the next interesting questions are, then if we can figure out who is and who is not human, where are they in biblical history? How do they relate to us in biblical history and to the other events in biblical history? Are they people from before the flood? Or after the flood. We know that they're people after the fall because they're dead. Right. (laughs) Right? Sin. Sin brings death. Sin
0: brings death. These are the remains of dead
9: dead people or and dead animals and and whatnot, as we're trying to split apart who's who in these. So we know that they're post-fall. The next question is: are they pre-flood, post-flood? Uh, And that's where a lot of your work uh, went into, especially taking a look at, like, how do caves get formed and how do you get skeletons in caves and in some of the areas. And and, 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 what are they making their little stone tools out of? All sorts of little weird
0: ways of looking at human remains, trying to figure out, all right, post-flood or flood, yeah.
9: Yeah, and when you find out that their geological setting is in these little restricted areas that seem to be on top of all of the flood rocks or... Caves that are inside flood rocks. So you had to make the rock, then you had to make the cave, lift the cave up. They had to get in the cave and do their things and leave their tools behind and evidence of fire. Like that takes time. You're probably not running around trying to avoid the flood while you're burying some of your relatives and cooking a meal and those sorts of things. So this all indicates that these different people are actually post-flood, but then we still have the question of like, well, how far after the flood? Are we talking right after the flood? What about Babel? And so yeah, yeah. You know, we, we had to answer the first question so we could get to these other interesting questions. And what do we do with these people? Where do we place them? Right, yeah. And uh, you know, we, we looked at a couple of different options, you know, whether or not the, the dispersal at Babel is something that is in fact universal for all of humanity, that everybody on earth was living in the Valley of Shinar and contributing to building this tower, and God shattered all of that. Or some theologians have suggested that the Babel event was something that was limited only to the Hamite residents that were living in that area at the time. So you compare that against the Table of Nations in Genesis 10 and then kind of go, okay, well, is that happening just over there? And one of the things I liked about the way we approached this was we want to leave both options open, even while we recognize that the first option seems to be the best one. You know, it makes Certainly it most, biblically, yeah. yeah, it makes most sense to the text. Yeah, whereas the second option gives us some other interesting and good possibilities dealing with the anthropological data of, you know, maybe this explains why certain species like Homo erectus or Neanderthal are found before we get to Homo sapiens and maybe they built the tower, but that doesn't comport really well with the universal nature of the tower event and the universal nature of Genesis 1-11 through 11 as a whole. Right. And so you kind of go, well, I'm weighing these things out, and it's an honest weight. You're trying to to really figure out, is this good? And, well, the the biblical issues are really kind of tilting this one a bit. But we want to remain open in case the theologians sometime later on learn some more things about how ancient Near Eastern people wrote, and you find out, like, no, actually, this comports really well with, you know, others that are talking about something that's much more local. And if that's allowable, and it has to be allowable by by the biblical text, we can't just decide. No, we can't just make it. Say that. Can't just make <laughs> no, it say that. No, that's wrong. But, but if it is an allowable option, then we need to make sure that's at least somewhere on the table. Even if it's down the table next to the peas that nobody wants right, to eat, yes. right? We think it's the other one might be, be you know, yeah. that's, that's yeah, a nice yeah, yeah. big chicken. Uh, cauliflower, maybe not. I don't like cauliflower. No. no. Albino no. broccoli, Ooh, it's no good. No, it's not mashed potatoes. Don't, no. don't try that. <laughs> no, it's not. Don't try no, that. No. Don't it's, do it. It's a trick. And so then we say, all right, so if things are happening after Babel, then. What do we see when we look at the different uh, layers of geology and who shows up first? And what does that tell us about maybe what the earliest post-flood peoples looked like? Yeah. And you know that was one of the more surprising things, I think, about our paper. Uh, for a lot of people reading it, they're going to be like, well, you know, we know what humans looked like. They looked like us, right? Well, I well. But yeah, and the problem for that at least geologically, stratigraphically, is that the Homo sapiens morphology shows up way late. It is quite late, yeah. And instead, the earliest things that actually happen to be found, first with a global distribution, but also in the areas around the arc and, and not far, you know, at a travel distance from where Babel may have been, are things like the Dinaminesi site in the Republic of Georgia, which is Homo erectus. And it makes you start thinking, well, you know, Wait a minute. What did Noah and his family look like? What did these first people look like? And you know, you'd say, "Oh yeah, I know what Adam looks like. I've seen the Sistine Chapel. He's a white guy. You know, (laughs) needs to cover up." Except he's not. Except Except he's he's not. not. Right. Right. You know, God's a white guy with a beard. No, he's not. No, he's not. And so, you know, I would tell my students when I taught at Liberty University, we have an understandable tendency, but a wrong one, to impart the present into the past. Sure. And, you know, da Vinci did the same thing, and Michelangelo did the same thing with the Sistine Chapel. You kind of think, what do these biblical people look like? You know, what did Moses look like? Uh, Charlton Heston. And probably, yes. probably That's exactly not, what he looked right? like. You know Charlton. that. <laughs> no, did Jesus look more like Jim Caviezel? Yes. <laughs> I'm it, sure it. kind occurred. of went that direction. So what we don't want to do is, is, is be anachronistic. We don't want to take the present yeah. and decide that the past had to look that way simply because that's the way we see it around us today. And we have to be open to the possibility that these other individuals like Homo erectus that show evidence of of, uh, complex tool use that uh, might have been dispersing themselves even over water, uh, that probably were using uh, controlled fire and and a bunch of other things, baking fish and stuff like that. We've got direct evidence and indirect evidence, but altogether the picture kind of looks like, yeah, these are are humans. these other folks are humans. And well, the, the Australopithecines don't, don't look like they're doing any of that stuff. So that's probably not image of God stuff. But the earliest thing that we have in the post flood world with people are things like Homo erectus. And shortly after that, we've got Neanderthals. And then later on, we've got Homo sapiens. So that opens up a lot more questions. Yeah. You know, why is that pattern there? Why, why do we see that kind of development? And is it easier to get a, a Homo sapiens out of a Homo erectus type of human? Or is it easier to go from uh, homo, homo sapiens to, to an erectus? So
0: that's the big question.
9: Yeah. Right. And, and creationists throughout history have always kind of viewed all of those other forms, Neanderthals, erectines, the hobbits, Homo floresiensis, as some sort of degenerate okay. form. right? right? they are isolated inbred populations with congenital deformities, which as a paleontologist, I had to look that up. You know, basically bad genes made bad bodies. Correct. Um, oh, good. I summed that up well? You, you
0: got, all you got right. it right, yeah.
9: And... You know, one of the things you and I have talked about in the past is congenital deformities don't produce a consistent physical form right. in populations. They're
0: very high. They're very variable
9: they over time and cons-
0: space. They do produce certain consistencies Yeah, such that you can recognize someone with Down syndrome, for example. Right, right. But people with Down syndrome can be extremely variable Yes, in their, in their appearance and their manifestation of their... Conditions. Right.
9: And you don't end up with a entire healthy population of people with a condition like that, right. that are going to be leaving remains distributed across the entire world. Correct. So, you know, when you take a look at a Homo erectus from Java and you take a look at a Homo erectus from Timanisi, there's some differences there, but there's also enough similarities that you go, okay, we can, we can probably call these the same thing. So, but congenital deformities are not going to do that, that. and they're not going to make Neanderthals across Europe and the Near East and into Siberia that all have a very consistent morphology. Instead, those are healthy populations of people in in, in at least the majority of ways. So, yeah, I, I look at us and I think, boy, we look like kind of almost our heads look like child versions of some of these others. You know, and you kind of wonder, sometimes, like, yeah. sometimes, yeah, yeah. but you kind of wonder, you know, if Adam saw us now, what he you look at? You're like, what's wrong with your head? Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that is exactly why what he, he would say. So well, what's wrong with your head and what's yeah. wrong with the rest of you? Really? Right. And, right.
9: And we'd right. say, well, that's actually an interesting story that's, that yeah. you asked. That's an
0: interesting yeah, story. It
9: all goes back to, oh, that day. Yeah, 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 that day.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. It's and been been we're going to, we're going to go wrangle someone else into Doing an interview for us, so thank cool. you.
9: All right, good to talk to you, Todd.
2: Well, I'm here now with Dr. Bill Barrick, uh, an Old Testament scholar, who uh, was one of the speakers at the evening sessions. In fact, um, you were the first speaker, I, was I think. The first, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It was the first one. Uh, tell us about uh, your talk. What what th- these talks were designed to kind of give a a current state of the art?
10: Uh, current state of the arts, and then kind of our vision or hope for the future how we might go on from here and do something different or make improvements on what we're doing. Okay. So that, my topic was on theology or biblical studies. So I began by talking about how that theology used to be the queen of the sciences, Mm -hmm. right? And how theology means just the study of God. So it's nothing to be afraid of unless Mm -hmm. we're afraid of God for some reason. (laughs) And the idea is that, uh, we need to put the scriptures in priority and that we need to go to the scriptures and find out what they say uh, when we're talking about creation or talking about the flood so i began by first talking about how that we make mistakes in how we approach that issue Mm -hmm. and sometimes we go to the scriptures and because we're lazy or we just don't take the time to dig deeply into the word and really to exegete it and interpret it properly we end up using passages of scriptures wrongly. And sure. that kind of destroys our point. Yeah, It gives our enemies a foothold to get in there and say, but the scripture doesn't really say that, so right. now I can discount everything else you said. And I began with John 3.12, mm-hmm. where Jesus had said, uh, if I have spoken to you about earthly things, you did not believe me, mm-hmm. then how will you believe when I speak to you about heavenly things? And so often we've taken that and used it to say that that's about creation and the flood, earth history, Israel's history, uh, the, the history of uh, God in the book of Genesis, or whatever, mm. whether it's biological, historical, archaeological, we well, always put all those things in there, mm. when in the context, it's only about the new birth. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so we must use it. I've heard
2: people use it that way. Right. And, and say, you know, if, if, if you don't believe what I say about earthly things, how will you believe <laughs> when I right. tell you about heavenly things? Yes. Uh, and Jesus isn't talking about creation and no, the flood there. No, yeah, in yeah. fact,
10: he's talking about natural birth versus yeah. spiritual birth. Yeah. So we, we need to be careful how we use scripture. Mm-hmm. But I think also what I want to do, especially in the vision of the future, mm-hmm. is to see that we work together in an interdisciplinary fashion. Sure. Scientists, qualified. Uh, who are accredited, who are well-attested in their fields, working together with theologians and Bible scholars who are equally qualified and recognized in their fields, especially those who have the same view we do of the mm-hmm. Book of Genesis and of the Scriptures. And uh, so we need to be more careful about doing that in the future. Yeah. And I also exhorted our organizations, who hire so many scientists to do research, or to use scientists for reviewing articles and for reviewing books or for giving peer review on articles and papers, uh, that we need to make certain we involve the biblical scholars in that all the more.
2: It's so important because, you know, as scientists, we want to do our work within the constraints that Scripture gives us. Right. But we need to know what those constraints are. And we're not biblical scholars. We're, we're, right. So we need the help of yeah. biblical and scholars And I'm not like the you. scientist. Right. <laughs> so we can help one another. And, yes. and hopefully then you, know, you can give us the framework in which we can do our science. That's right. And come up with scientific models, scientific theories that are consistent with the scriptures. Right. And we, we need to help one another.
10: It, we yeah. do very much. And I was just telling someone a few minutes ago that one of the exciting things about coming here to the conference like this and meeting the scientists is that sometimes we're sitting and talking about the Word of God or creation or the flood. Suddenly they ask a question I never even thought of. <laughs> right. And because I have this narrow focus here. Yeah. And so all of a sudden they've expanded my horizons way out to here. And I'm saying, oh, I need to go back and look at the Word about that. Right. So it's, it's iron sharpening iron. Yeah. And we're expanding each other's ability to look at these issues, I think, uh, more carefully and more, more fully.
2: Yeah. That's great. And I think that's been a theme of the whole conference, really. Yes. That we all need one another that's to right. help us as, as iron sharpening iron, as you say. That's right. That's very helpful. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Bill.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. For you're your welcome. Time.
10: Thanks, Paul.
2: Yeah, it's great to see you.
10: Great to see you, too.
0: So we're wrapping up ICC 2023 here. It's been quite a conference. I'm tired. I'm ready to go. Exhausted. Yeah. But it's been a lot of fun talking to everybody, having dinner with people, having yeah. lunch with people. Seeing all their work, seeing the different uh, tables and book stands and all that good stuff. So yeah.
2: I was exhausted when I arrived. Pretty much, yeah. I think I'm now <laughs> running on adrenaline. And we spent uh, a lot
0: of time uh, and a lot of work recording episodes before yeah, we got to the conference. So we did,
2: we did. It's yeah, we're
0: but all. But it's tired. been a great conference. It has been. There've yeah. been
2: some fabulous papers. Really
0: eye-opening stuff. Yeah,
2: really, really good groundbreaking yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, think I, I, than, I think more than
0: I think more than. I've seen before at ICC. Right. It's just been really remarkable. Yeah. Really exciting conference. Yeah. So if you missed it, I'm sorry. I hope you get a little taste of ICC right here on Let's Talk Creation. Yeah. So until next time, we'll catch you later. See you
4: then.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Creation. For more information, visit us at letstalkcreation.org, where you'll find an archive of past episodes in all our show notes. If you'd like to leave a comment or make a suggestion, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. Let's Talk Creation is brought to you in the U.S. by Core Academy of Science and in the U.K. by Biblical Creation Trust. As a listener-supported ministry, we are grateful for all of your financial support. Find out how you can make a contribution at our website, letstalkcreation.org. Also remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Thanks, and see you next time.